In this podcast, Pamela Barty, a Forbes 30 under 30 entrepreneur and developer of a $100 million real estate empire, will share her inspiring underdog comeback story. And along with those of her guests, she'll share how you too, as an underdog, can rise up and succeed against all odds. Here's your host, Pamela Barty. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Underdog. Today, I have an amazing guest. Misty, how are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for being here. I'm so pumped to talk about you today and all the awesomeness that you bring to the world. Such a beautiful energy. And I just can't wait to hear about your journey, where you've been and where you're going. Awesome. Thank you so much. Now, this is exciting. I was so happy to talk with you. So it's nice to be on your show. I, I love speaking with you about your journey. So this is fun. Yay. So excited. So excited. And of course, I start out with the most loaded question known to man, which is what inspired you on your journey to where you are today, Misty? I think that I was kind of inspired to learn about money really early. We had money when I was growing up until I was about nine or 10. And then my father's business kind of, you know, we didn't talk about money a lot. Like for the first part of my life that I could remember, we just kind of had it. We were able to do things. We had boats and cars and toys and fun stuff that you had in the eighties. And so when the economy changed, you know, we, we had to move. We got rid of everything. We sold our house, the, all of the possession, and we moved into a different town. And like, I just remember things felt so different. And then after that, money came up all the time. It was just always something we were thinking about. A lot of scarcity on my mom's part. And my father's a business owner, so he was more entrepreneurial, always thinking of new ideas, but not necessarily like putting them into action. Or, you know, he would have periods of time where you'd be like reinventing a business for months. And it, it takes a long time sometimes to shift gears with what you're doing. So I just, you know, I remember being in sixth grade and being in a stock market competition. And like, I remember just learning that people use their money to invest in other people's businesses and made money doing that. Mm. And it like blew my mind. This seemed to me as like a sixth grader, like the key to figuring things out would be like, how do I get my hands on some money and how do I start to invest it? Because this whole paycheck, paycheck, living day by day, like being completely, actually no paycheck when you're self-employed, no unemployment, it was terrifying. So I kind of became very conscious of money, started working as soon as I could, you know, waiting tables. And I kind of really loved making money. It felt really fun. And so I think I've always just kind of taken to it for whatever reason. But then I think when I decided, you know, on my career, I really just wanted to be the person that I wished my parents had ran into in the early eighties mm. who were like, all right, this is cool, but we got to figure some of this stuff out for like future you. If things maybe take a turn for the worse, you know, how are we going to make sure that these kids are okay? I love that. Let's dissect your story a little bit, but I love that you were so inspired in sixth grade. That's oh Yeah. So and it's funny, I chose Coca-Cola and I laugh about it now because I thought Fruitopia was going to be like the beverage of the century. It was like crazy juice, whatever. And uh, it didn't end up winning me the competition. But now I know like 
Warren Buffett added Coca-Cola. It's one of the biggest holdings in Berkshire Hathaway. So I was like a long-term investor before I even knew that. So I was onto something back then. It just took a couple more decades for it to really come about, which was much longer than the week-long competition we had. So that's so awesome. Now question, what did you want to be when you grew up? as a kid. I wanted to be a lawyer because I knew that they made money. All I, I really just wanted to, you know, I figured that that was the thing to do. Like you find, I couldn't be a doctor because that stuff is just freaks me out. Like I, you know, sight of blood needles, none of that for me. So I was like, Oh, lawyer then you could do that. And then, um, you know, I, I went to school for like political science major at UConn and thought about it, but then I really just wanted to work. I really didn't want to pursue law. It just wasn't like a passion of mine. I really kind of enjoyed money and, you know, and investing and things like that a little bit more. So initially I, yeah, I just wanted a job that I was like, Ooh, huge paycheck. But I was like, Nope, that's also not for me. That's so interesting. So we have a, a lot of parallels, you know, in, in terms mm-hmm. of growing up, you did mention, you know, that your parents had everything and then they lost yeah. everything. Right. I was always used to not having anything. So, but you mentioned something about the scarcity mindset mm-hmm. that your mom had. Yeah. And that's something that I've dealt with in mm-hmm. my own life too, yeah. you know, and st- still have family members like that. And what I always say to people is success is really built on your thoughts right up here, mm-hmm. right? Your manifestations on the things that you say, right? Words are spells, spelling spells, mm-hmm. right? There's a whole spirituality piece to this. Growing up, what was the mindset around that scarcity and how did you break that? Yeah. So I saw it, you know, and granted, you know, my different generations of women, like my grandmother never worked. My mother didn't really work while we were little. She didn't have to. So she went to high school and married, started her family. And that was really it. I don't think she ever intended to go to work. And so when everything was taken away, it was scary. You know, it's like the worst, your brain is always thinking that that's going to happen. And then when it does, it's very hard to then be like, okay, well, what could I do? And she did get a job. She did work. Like she was the one that actually kept food on the table for a lot of times. And it wasn't jobs that were like amazing high paying jobs. Like it was hard work in like, you know, nursing home, like wherever you could get a job as a high, you know, with high school diploma and two kids, you know, so that was really tough. And I, I just saw how stressed she always was, but I also had the side in my brain from my dad who was just like, you want to create money, you start a business, you find a product, a service or something, and that's what you go out and do. He never thought about getting a job or a nine to five or anything like that. That just was, it was just impossible. He's a complete rebel, could not have a boss. He just wasn't suited for corporate America. I don't think he ever will be. And he wanted complete control over his time. However, that doesn't make a lot of money. (laughs) unless you're actually putting stuff out there. So I kind of had this understanding for why my mom was always upset, but also I saw it, but I didn't absorb it where I felt like that would be my future. I was just always trying to think like, okay, well, what could we do differently? How could we make this work? And I think that's when I saw the investing part as like, oh, other people do things differently. This isn't everybody's experience. And I was young, But I did like, it kind of got me on the path where I started to lean into it. By the time I was in high school, I was reading books about investing. I was trying to like figure this stuff out because I was curious. And really that's just kind of what led me to ultimately do what I do now. 
That's incredible. That's incredible. In my experience, you know, with, with my family, it was always, you know, you have to work hard. If you're not working hard, it was the hustle mentality, the toxic yeah. hustle, 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 hustle. Like if you're not working hard, if you're not working 16 hours a day, that's, you know, money doesn't grow on trees and all these things. And then you grow up and you're like, this is so not correct. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I wish I could say that, like I saw opposite and that's not that my father didn't, I, you know, the fact that he's 75 today and his business is still open because he chooses it to be open. <laughs> it doesn't, you know, like that's the side of like, you know, when I got a job in corporate America, they were like, Oh, okay. And I was like, everybody else would be so proud. <laughs> Other parents would die to have me as their kid. I was just like, <laughs> I am going to start like, I'm maxing out my 401k, all these things. And they're like, what are you doing? Like, you have to ask for vacation days. Like that's bullshit. And I'm like, no, that's normal. That's life. <laughs> that's so funny. Then I got to the point where now I'm like, yeah, I really don't like asking people. For vacation, right? Oh my goodness. That's hilarious. Well, because for me, right, I was supposed to be a nine to fiver. Yeah. That's what, that was my trajectory. Right. And I had this crazy moment in college. And then I realized that the hell no, I'm not working for anybody. And my parents were like, well, what do you mean? <laughs> They're like, Pam, that's security. Like you got to, you know, you can't, we don't want you to go through what we went through, you know, because mm -hmm. in their mentality, owning a business, like they have the old school mentality of, of the business. So they're like yeah. so tied to that. So, you know, breaking that, that money mindset, I think is the hardest, the yeah. hardest thing, you know? Yeah. And it's one of the most fun parts of my job. And I think it's ignored by most traditional financial advisors and money managers. Typically it's give me your money. I know everything. You don't know what to do with it. I'll handle it from here. And it's like a black hole of where your money's actually going, where I really, I want, first of all, I want my clients to kind of get why they're doing this and like be okay with it. And like, I think it's only like 24% of women actually invest any money in the stock market at all. And we're actually pretty good at it when we do, because we get the idea of like, maybe it's not instant gratifications, but a lot of us are like getting educated, getting high paying jobs, understand the way businesses operate. And so you can understand the money you're putting into a business. Now the returns may end up being down the road somewhere if this company continues to grow. And so I think it's kind of sad that like a lot of people are just like, well, I don't want to invest because it's scary. I don't know anything about it. You're going to take my money and run. It's like, no, <laughs> that's just like a that's kind of just kind of a bad like rap that the industry has, but it's something new. So immediately your brain's going to be like, no danger. Don't do it. Right. And it's like, actually part of your brain's like, that's what rich people do. That's what smart people invest. Our brains kind of compete with that because they do get that. Like it's a smart thing to do, but it's also like too scary, too risky. Right. And I was going to say, because you're also a life coach and you're a certified planner, financial planner. Yeah. So those are two worlds that are really tough to break into people's heads, right? Yeah. Just like attorneys, right? It's like the perception and, and all of that. So that's super interesting. So back to your, to your sixth grade investing, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. Which is mind blowing to me that you're mm -hmm. learning this stuff. I wish I knew what I knew now, like back yeah. then. I don't know if they think that that sunk in as much as it did. And I'm sure everybody in the class probably thought it was like a fun project because we got to like read the newspaper. <laughs> you never know with school what's going to, click or you know so it's it's interesting yeah that was it for me though <laughs> so cool and then you're studying it in high school and then so after that just went to college and you were focused on in the financial world yeah and then after that got into corporate america yeah so when i first got out of college in 2002 there weren't a lot of jobs there weren't a lot of places hiring and so i did everything from like be a substitute teacher 
you know, I always waited tables and bartended, you know, wherever I could. And then I ended up going to a class for an insurance license because I lived in Connecticut and they had a lot of insurance companies. And I was like, all right, well, I can do that. And so I went to the class and I remember a woman being like, who do you work for? And I'm like, I don't work for anybody. And they're like, what are you doing here? (laughs) This is boring. This is painful. Like my boss is forcing me to be here. And so a woman, she ended up like introducing me to her, her management and like, I got a job there. So my first job was like in insurance and in sales. And then I got you know, some licenses for investment, which was fantastic. However, it was, it was a rough start to try to go into insurance sales and investing when you did not have any family members to go sell to, or, you know, a list of a hundred clients or, you know, social media wasn't even like that big of a thing then. And so it was just kind of like, well, who's your natural market? I didn't have one. (laughs) And so it was like, I'm going to be on my parents' couch for a while and just grind my way through it. People asking to talk to my boss, feeling like I was someone's assistant or their wife. And I'm like, no, I'm actually the, I'm the person. It's actually me who's here to talk to you. And so I ended up deciding to, we got audited by some, by, you know, the home office. And I remember sitting there with the auditor being like, do you like your job? And she was like, yeah, I do. I get to travel. It's pretty independent. I make good money. And I ended up then looking into becoming an auditor. And I did, I went to work for a company as an auditor traveled, met with a lot of advisors, reviewed client files, did compliance work. And then, you know, which kind of taught me a different side of the industry, like the part that's like, follow the rules, you know, take care of your clients or someone like me is going to find you. (laughs) And so then eventually I decided to go back because it really just wasn't, it was a great job. It just wasn't everything I wanted. And I was like, I see all these people out there doing it. And I'm smarter than them. Like, I know I could do this. Like, I actually like would have done things a little differently or I would, the clients that they're complaining about, I would love to have, like, they sound awesome to me. So I kind of shifted gears after, you know, spending a decade doing something that was good. It just wasn't exactly like, you know, when you mentioned manifestation, like I had to go through a little bit more pain to to like take a risk and actually get where I wanted to go. What was that transition like shifting there? It was interesting, you know, because a lot of people, you know, when you make any adjustments or or shifts, a lot of times people are going to ask why you're doing that. It's a lot of times like taking risks and, and making changes when things are good, just doesn't make sense to a lot of people. And the people that love us the most might be like the least reluctant to want to see us change because they kind of like us the way we are. They want to keep us safe. They want to protect us. And it's like, at the time when I told my husband, like, Hey, this is kind of what I want to do. We had like babies. And I think that he just was like, well, if you think you can do it, you just do it. (laughs) He's like, I don't. And he said, like, I don't think that there's anything that you've said you wanted to do that you haven't done. And I was like, well, that's true. (laughs) So, you know, your brain will look for proof of things, but it was like, I wanted to buy a house by the time I was 30. I wanted, I wanted a son and daughter. (laughs) I was like, not sure how, like I made that happen, but I think in my head, I might've had something to do with it. (laughs) You know, I wanted a dog. I wanted all these things that I kind of, they felt real to me before they actually existed. Mm. So it was the same with work. I was like, you know what? I think that there's like clients out there that are like waiting for me and I just have to get there. sounds like you have a magic, you have like a magic manifestation <laughs> method in your mind, Misty. So I think that's your next thing. Magic manifestation method. No, and I think you're right when you talk about mindset though, because a lot of times, like if you have the scarcity mindset or you're stuck, 
things aren't just going to happen because you're not looking for them. You're like looking for reasons why you shouldn't do the things. And so all the reasons why it doesn't make sense are going to start to appear. Exactly. So how did you manifest that? Because like you said, right, when things are going good and you still make that change, right? First off, how do you realize that you want something more? Because Mm -hmm. this happened to me in my transition, you know, the transition that I've been going through into public speaking, coaching, all these different things. It's like this voice inside, ringing inside your head that you're supposed to do something else. And you're Mm -hmm. like, are you kidding me? (laughs) I am fine. I am doing Mm -hmm. great. Why, 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 why? Right. So it's just interesting to hear how that sort of came to you and how you manifested it. Yeah. So I think I, I I was happy and I kind of created a new job description for what I felt like I should be doing for the company. And I gave it to my boss at the time and they were like, what is this? And I'm like, well, this is what I'm actually doing. And so this is what I think my job should be. Cause you know, I was starting to do more PR for the company. I was starting to do more speaking and things like that. And I'm like, this is actually going really well, but I'm, you know, obviously paid here to do X. And they were like, no, like keep doing this. But we're not like, no, that's not how things work. And so that was a little frustrating where I was like, okay, well, I really started to think about what I love to do. And I really loved like working with some journalists and reporters and putting together webinars and like speaking to people about money. And, you know, then I got to the point where people are like, how could I work with you? And I had to be like, well, you can't. Like we could do a financial plan, but then you need to go to another advisor to actually implement it. Or I can offer you this one product here. So it kind of was like, I focused on the things that I really enjoyed. And then it got to the point where like that voice in your head just got super loud. Like these people are now wanting to work with you. And you're saying like, I don't have the capacity to do that. When the capacity to do that is just right over here, just have to like make that jump. And so it kind of was like, that, that internal dialogue that you have in your head eventually just got like too hard to kind of ignore it. Right. And so it ended up being a couple, like leaving audit and going into financial planning and like corporate work was a better move, but then it still felt a little bit like Goldilocks, like not quite it, (laughs) you know? And that's like with you, like sometimes you just keep, you keep evolving. And even the things that are so good that I was so grateful for, I still might want more and that's okay. And most people feel like that's not okay. It really is. It totally is. Totally. I'm telling you. And it's just so interesting how it always comes about, you know, and then I'm sure when you heard her response to you, you were mm-hmm. like, um, my job description is far more than what you're paying me. Yeah. So, you know, I'm sure that's yeah. a cord and all of that. So do you have like a method of like, did you write these things down? Like, what did you do? I am so yeah. fascinated because there might be somebody listening right now who's mm-hmm. in the same exact space as you and is trying to figure out, you know, how do I take this next move? How do I make this happen? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I did actually, along with doing the investing in the financial planning, I did start, you know, I got the life coaching certification because I really wanted to get really good at asking the right questions and drawing, getting people, even if I was just creating workbooks and stuff for them to like sit there and like really, really think. And so I created a coaching program, which each month I would talk about a different topic. And we've only been doing this for two months, but it's been going really great because I have my current clients all in it. So they have access to me once a week, if they need it or not, they can dial in (laughs) there to ask like questions. But then I wanted something for other people who maybe are really just starting to figure this stuff out, or maybe they're feeling like I'm overwhelmed. I'm stressed and I'm not happy, or I did all the stuff that I was supposed to do. And I still feel, 
I still feel bad. And a lot of times it's not just money, but money kind of has this underlying space in everything we do. And so I opened the coaching program, like this month we're talking about time management. Cause there's a lot of people that are like, I'd love to write that book someday. I'd love to do this stuff. I just have no time. And it's like that procrastination and the overwhelm, like that's going to keep you exactly where you are forever. And it really was me. Like when I was going through this myself, it was like doing a lot of, I started a blog just so once a week I wrote about, like I was accountable to myself a hundred percent. And like many people would be like, why are you doing this? Like, does anybody read it? And I was like, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> Cause I didn't even know how to check analytics or whatever. I was just like, I'm just going to do this. And then it was just really, yeah, kind of starting to set goals for myself. And then like back into how they would get there. And it was like really just holding myself accountable. It's a lot of journaling, a lot of reading, a lot of thinking, right. which is not pleasant, but it's so necessary when you want to make changes. And so that's what the coaching program does. It's just like spend a little bit of time thinking about what you actually want yourself and don't feel guilty about it. Love that. And you transitioned from the golden handcuffs into your own business. Yeah. Which is so awesome. And I know there's people definitely listening that are in the same boat right now, (laughs) either change or they have made the change or, you know, just startup entrepreneur who's just trying to get off the ground because financial planning is a very difficult industry. And so, I mean, mm-hmm. close coaching, right? Because it's oversaturated, you know, it takes time to build clients. It's a long-term sales process. I mean, there's all these, there's all these things. Real estate's very mm-hmm. similar, right? Yeah. So how did you sort of break through that and start building your book of business to where you are? Today? Yeah. So one of the best things that I think I did was use social media. And I, I read a lot of sales books and stuff like that. And I know like the, you know, if you look at all of those, like sales, you know, Zig Ziglar and all these books of like these people in like the 50s, 60s, 70s, if they had social media, they'd be all over it. (laughs) They didn't even have the access to like strangers, people that are not in your neighborhood or your family or your network where we do. And so while I thought that my being different, you know, only 14% of CFPs are female, right? That's not a lot. And at first was like, oh, that means no one's going to want to talk to me. Instead, I was like, well, that could help me stand out a little bit. That makes me a little bit different. What if there's women out there who like don't want to talk to it? Like maybe they want to talk about saving money for fertility or things like that, that they might just feel like, I don't like, nobody's going to ask me those questions. You know, they might want to talk to a woman about wanting to put their kids in college because they feel like they should. So I felt like there was a huge amount of people, women are making a lot of money too. And they're getting more of the high paying jobs. They're starting businesses. They're outpacing men when it comes to graduating college. And so I was like, what if I could just use certain things like blogging, social media, trying to connect with people like in networking groups that we have in like the Boston area and beyond and see if those people are out there and they're like waiting for me. (laughs) And that really helped. It really helped because people are all of a sudden like, what are you doing? I see you everywhere. And it's like, I'm not. I'm just using what's available to me and trying to, to make sure that I can, you know, make sure people know what I do. Cause that's the most important part of coaching and anything is like, people just need to know what you do and how they, how you can help them. Totally. Totally. So with financial, I mean, I, I don't even know if you're allowed to say this cause I know that mm-hmm. there are, you know, certain rules and regulations yeah. against like financial advice that you can give. Yeah. What would be some of your biggest tips, whether it be the, in, on the financial side or mm-hmm. on the life coaching side to yeah. a startup entrepreneur who's listening right now? or, you know, just entrepreneur in general or anyone, anyone out there. Yeah. I think one of the best things to do for people is, you know, to invest and it's not just investing in the stock market, which is important, but if you can, you know, we take our money and a lot of times we either just feel like we don't, we just get rid of it. 
you know, or we spend it. Or in my example, growing up, like it felt like if we don't spend it now, someone's going to take it away. A bill's going to show up. A car's going to break down. Something's going to go wrong. And it inevitably always did because we were always on the lookout for that. But I think one of the best things that I do with my money is invest. I invest in myself all the time. And I feel like if I don't, nobody else is going to do it. And so sometimes that means getting different certifications, signing up for webinars, doing, I've have hired coaches. I've worked with people myself because I feel like we always, you know, I work with a, like a nutrition and training, like I could do it, but if I invest in this, I could maybe do it faster, maybe learn something that I don't know. And so I do value that. And I think, you know, a lot of times it feels bad to invest in yourself, or even if it's saving your money for your own retirement or your own investments versus spending it on your family or something else. Like you have to kind of weigh that out that you actually do matter (laughs) as much. And, you know, no one else is really going to be looking out for you as much. So I think it's important to feel okay with investing. And if you are working somewhere or you're self-employed, you can set up ways to invest your money automatically. Self-employed people can save a ton on taxes if they set up the right types of account and then they can help their employees out. They can help themselves out, become, you know, better employers and also like take advantage of those benefits. Those are things my father as a self-employed person in the eighties had no idea about, Mm. no idea. And so one of the reasons I do what I do is because like self-employed people have no HR department. There's nobody saying like, okay, we'll just put 10% in this or 5% in this allocate it out this way. And you'll be actually look at it now at 10 years later. So they just are like investing in the business most of the time, which Mm -hmm. is good. But I think it's good to always balance that with investing your money and also investing in your brain. Amen. Amen. And that brings me to my next question to you. What would your older self tell your younger self based on what you know now? Let's see. You know, this is when I love, I love when I have financial planning clients that are like 30 or 20, because I feel like I could just time travel back and be like, okay. So like one of the best things, you know, that I would have told myself to do earlier, and I was pretty good at this, but not great. You know, I kind of set up the things and and invested the money, but I think what I would have told myself to do was to really, really define what I wanted. I think for most of my twenties, I just, I didn't know. I wanted to get out of my parents' house. I wanted to get the degree. I liked what I studied, but I didn't really think about it that much. I mean, most people probably 18 years old, you don't really know what you want to do, but now I feel like, oh, if I could have gone back and do college, like this is what I would have loved to learn. So I think that, you know, maybe I would have wanted to spend a little bit more time thinking and less time kind of reacting, trying to keep up with my friends. I have a hundred purses that I don't even care about that. I don't know why I bought them. I just felt like I was doing the right thing all the time. And so I think if I, if I was even just like slightly more mindful, I probably could have had like another, like $500,000 in the bank by now, but you live and learn. But I think, yeah, I think it's really important. I, I wish I knew some of these techniques because I, it's really hard to examine your thoughts. Most people don't. And it wasn't something I ever even considered because there was a lot of things that I just believed that I don't believe anymore (laughs) because they were just my mom's opinions or my dad's opinions or what, you know, other people said or did. And so I think that even just taking a little minute to question, like, okay, this guy said this, and now I'm thinking all of these things. And now like, (laughs) I might've been like, "Hmm, he said that 
how do I choose to think about this and move forward? So, right. Breaking through those mindsets too, that you were taught with. I mean, it took me a long time to break away from my family's mindset of, you know, money scarce. You have to work hard. You got to work all the time. You Mm got to know this whole idea of abundance was like, oh, this weird abyss to me. Yeah. What do you mean? Yeah. No. And I think a lot of times I did overspend. And when I started writing the blog, it was like, I stopped shopping for an entire year because I was just, I mean, I was buying things on Amazon when I was up late with the baby and I didn't even know it was coming in the mail the next day. And I was doing it just because it felt good to like click and buy something, but I wasn't even thinking about it. And so I think the mindfulness can be really impactful when you want to change some behaviors that maybe aren't that great. But for a long time, I just would buy things because if I traveled for work and I was bored, I'd go shopping because I felt like I deserved it. You and I are very, very similar. And so then I was like, why am I doing this? And it's like, actually I'm lonely and I don't like this job very much. Instead, I was like, let's not deal with that. (laughs) Let's go to Sephora. Yeah. Let's go shopping. It's interesting how we all have our uh, coping mechanisms, like you'd say, with the way that we deal with things. I'm Mm -hmm. the same way. I'm like, let's go out. Let's go have some some fun. Let's uh, Yeah. For me, it's like things like Nutella and gelato and sweets and yes. all like, I deserve it. Yeah, no, like this, you know, <laughs> like being by myself in this room is annoying and, and hard instead of thinking about like, okay, where do I actually want to go? And like kind of planning out my, I probably would have left my job years ago, you know, but instead I was like, let's go have a drink and buy some makeup. Hey, it's all good. It's all- I forgive younger me for knowing what younger me knew at the time and doing the best she could. <laughs> That's so awesome, Misty. You're up to so much amazing stuff. I mean, I know you have your own podcast too, Modern Mm -hmm. Money, which is awesome. I've been on it. It's so much fun and so great. And your business is thriving, which I love, love, love Mm -hmm. to see. What's up in your world in like the next six to 12 months? What's happening? So just recently, Investopedia said that I was one of the top 100 financial advisors in the country, which was amazing and completely (laughs) shocking and surprising. So I've been doing a little bit more more press, a little bit more work with different publications, the Boston Globe, like different, different things where I could partner up and start to talk about a little bit more about my thoughts around money because they're a little bit different, but I think people are really accepting that and maybe they're ready for a change when it comes to how they feel about their money and what they want to do with their life post-pandemic. So that was exciting. So doing some of that and then also, yeah, kind of ramping up the coaching program and hoping to find more people, you know, who maybe just want to be more mindful and thoughtful about their money. And maybe they have huge dreams and big goals and they don't know who to tell. (laughs) So I want them to tell me, I want to be the cheerleader, but I'll make sure that they're, you know, got all the things under control. They understand business structures. They understand, you know, how to set things up the right way so they can have like explosive growth and be completely prepared for it because it's, it's crazy when the money does start coming in, it can feel absolutely overwhelming and wild. So I would love to set the foundation for those people to help them out. That's so cool. And I love that you're a woman doing all of this. Cause like you said earlier, I mean, I, tr- I truly believe the riches are in the niches, right? Mm-hmm. So you're in a very niche market. 14% of women are certified yeah. financial planners. And then mm-hmm. of course you have the life coaching. So you got like both of it, best yeah. of both worlds, which is so awesome. So I just think what you're doing there and your focus is really incredible, really Thank incredible. You. And I know there's a ton of women out there. I think the pandemic shook a lot oh, totally. of people upside down. And so now I think a lot of people are reevaluating what matters, mm-hmm. what is their purpose? And a lot of people are shifting gears, even if yeah. they do have amazing jobs, right? It's yep. it's like, what's my purpose? That's kind yeah. of like the game right now. 
Yeah. And a lot of people are thinking like, well, if I don't do it now, then when, like, look what happened, you know? And so I love to be able to balance the technical financial planning end of it with the goals that they have that can be huge and completely overwhelming to them, but sound okay to me. So, you know, trying to, to balance that and help them out because it can feel a little bit like, oh, I shouldn't do this. This is wrong. That's immediately what your brain's going to go to. And I think that we need to kind of push past that discomfort to actually create value in the world. And we need it. <laughs> I love that. Missy, you're so awesome. Now you've got to let everyone know where to find you and your amazingness. Sure. You can find everything from the podcast, the blogs or coaching or investment management. All of that is on my website at mistylynch.com. So you can follow me at Misty Lynch CFP on like everywhere. I think Twitter, Instagram, Peloton, when I get on there, I just pretty much kept the same handle. That's one of the benefits of having a, a unique name. <laughs> so you're not too hard to find. You're so wonderful. Missy, thank you so much for being here today. I appreciate you. I love the work you're doing and the light you're bringing to the world. So keep shining, girl. The only dream that I've been chasing is my own. So that's it for today's episode of Underdog. Head on over to iTunes and subscribe to the show. One lucky listener every single week that posts a review on iTunes will win a chance in the grand prize drawing to win a private VIP day with Pamela herself in Boston, Massachusetts. Be sure to go to theunderdogshow.com and pick up a copy of Pamela's free gift and join us on the next episode. Oh,